0: We often hear the phrase, a Sputnik moment, and of course we're referring to the 1957 Soviet launch of Sputnik 1, the world's first artificial satellite. This moment launched the space race. It threatened our military, our economic, and our technical superiority. But by 1962, President Kennedy delivered the famous, we choose to go to the moon speech. Just seven years later, July 1969, Apollo 11 lands on the moon. Seven years. Seven years for one of the world's most enormous undertakings. 400,000 people at work. Technologies and capabilities had to be invented. Different computer systems, guidance, navigation control, digital flight controls, thermal blankets, sensors, optics, A lot of the things that we have and wouldn't have today in our smartphones, et cetera, had it not been for these 400,000. Now fast forward a bit, AI, artificial intelligence. This is a battle too. China has declared that they will have major breakthroughs by 2025. And they've clearly stated that they intend to lead the globe by 2030. Are we in this race? If we decide to be, here's a real critical question. Is our acquisition system up to the task? It takes 18 years to design, develop, deploy, or field a major weapon system. and As we know with the Joint Strike Fighter and other systems, it can be longer. We don't have that kind of time. So we're here today to talk with Commissioner Katarina McFarland about the AI report and their specific recommendations of how we tackle straight on acquisition reform so that we can understand the problems, solve them, reform the system, and rapidly get the tools that we need to be in the fight.
1: It took a while, by the way, to introduce gas and electric into the nation. How many gas ovens exploded in homes? How many people fried themselves with electric? We got it right, ultimately. I'm not so sure we took a strategic posture to get there. Let's learn from those periods and have leadership plan and put a package together that's thoughtful, that can be executed loosely without too much bureaucracy. GovCon different. Ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive
0: change. Katarina, it's great to have you on the show today. And Cliff and I have been working through the AI report and the recommendations And it kind of blew us away as we looked at all of the work, how enormous the topic is, right? Dual use technologies, almost any part of our life, AI will touch or does touch now. And the first question that comes to mind, Katerina, is how do you tackle that? How did you and the team tackle this, especially regarding national security? Because I mean, this makes boiling the ocean look easy in some ways.
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, it is a complex subject. So... Uh, Ben Franklin once said, I'd write you a short letter, but it would take too long. It's very hard to make a condensed, precise report. And so the way the report is structured is very purposeful. The first eight chapters relate to how do you get ready for artificial intelligence, and the second eight chapters relate to how do you take it from now knowing and how to and being confident in it to excel in it. Uh, I realize it's a heavy lift. But in order to do that, what we did was we divided and conquered. We had 15 uh, amazing people work on this commission, supported by an amazing staff. And so it took us a two-year time frame and a lot of work to create this product. But I won't be fair if I don't state there was an incredible amount of contributions from industry,
2: mm-hmm. from
1: Congress, from the department. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of work put
0: in. And I can tell that looking through the report, all of that work is really reflected in in the output, in the report, in the recommendations. I've never been on a commission like that. And you mentioned things of differing points of view, tolerance, et cetera. This is a commission of incredibly gifted, smart, talented people, yet passionate people that have strong views. What would surprise folks a little bit, of the journey, you and the commissioners, and working on the report a little bit? Because I think people think, ah, you know, they get together, these really smart people researching or whatever. What would surprise them about the interactions of you and the other commissioners?
1: Well, it, I was so enamored with the concept of having such intellect, because if there was a Where it was Waldo in this commission, it would be me, Right. The rest of these people were just phenomenal. I'm an, I, yes, I'm a unicorn, but these people were in positions of knowledge and access. And and frankly, for me, it was a wonderful opportunity to share stuff that I've always had access to, which is Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the threat. To understand the nature of the rest of the world that does not share those principles and actually acts on a different set of principles allows for people to align quickly. If you understand that the world doesn't look at things the way you do and actually is threatened by your way of thinking, you will change what you think about and how you think about the world. It doesn't mean that you're imposing your will on others. No desire to do that. But it, it means preserving what you Want to live in for your view of the future. And we have that in clear and spades in our country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Regardless of all the dialogue that's going on, those are contri- contributing factors to the fact of our freedoms. What we have to sense out is where is somebody manipulating that? And what the commissioners did when they got the plain bone truths. From the intelligence community at all levels of classification they all aligned they didn't align on technology per se that you don't expect everybody's going to be a technologist in their own domain and they're going to i like brown you like red you know that's that's not the point the point right. is motivation to doing something that gets us in a place that we have a future that we want to have and that's what happened in the first year and that to me was the most remarkable activity i've ever seen
0: mm-hmm. So that's really awesome to hear, and I get it. We can get lost in what technology, what policy, but if we really talk about the threat, incredibly sobering, incredibly motivating, as I find this question, this conversation, frankly, to be very motivating. Now, I've got a lot of friends in different places, lived in Arizona for a lot of time, and I had friends that were mountain bikers and tennis players, and that's really what they cared about. They weren't kind of within the beltway like we are. If you had to explain to them, why is this so important? What are the stakes here, right? Why does this matter so much?
1: The type of innovation that we're talking about and the change to our lives is akin to what electricity did when it was introduced to our country and to the nation and then to the world, right? Everywhere we turn, electricity is present and we assume it's there. It's an amazing, ubiquitous process that... uh, we live and thrive in and don't even realize what it right. took to get that instituted into the nation. And, the, and artificial intelligence has actually been going on for decades. It's just now coming to a point in its evolution, if you would, where it is starting to really show. And so to your point, how do you bring people to recognize it? Well, um hmm. If you really want to be a leader and continue to preserve the freedoms and the manner in which we want to live as a nation, you know that this is in your future. You want to have a, a place in the driver's seat. Yes. You don't want to be a passenger on this process. And in order to be a driver, you have to know what it is and know how to use it and make it in the image that you want to enjoy in terms of our freedoms and the value system that you want. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, it entwines in how we live. Artificial intelligence is an extension of a human. It it takes something that a human wants to do or has done and puts puts that capability into a different medium.
0: Mm -hmm. You've been in this acquisition, in acquisitions for a long time, in very, very senior positions. And yet you're still incredibly optimistic. And you still believe the moonshot piece, we can get this done. How do you stay that way, Katarina? How do you keep that optimism and passion for this change?
1: Uh, So my mother, who's 93 years old, survived Dresden, which is colloquially, for those that can remember far and back enough, uh, East Germany at the end of the war. So she was exposed to the entire experience of Nazi Hitler. What she experienced at a personal level has motivated me my entire life. It, to me, isn't a question of, can you do it? It's going to be, let's get together and figure out a way to do it. Because if we don't, we'll be experiencing a life that none of us want for our children or ourselves. And so what I say is, to me, and I'm old now, so I'm hoping others think of it this way, I want the future me to like my current me. What have I done to make my future me happy?
0: Right future me, and then for all of us, our children and so forth as well, right? I've got my daughter just graduated and kids graduating, so I like that and I want them to be thinking as well, saying, okay, Katarina and dad, maybe dad drove me nuts, but I'm glad that they did some of these things. That's right. I'm
1: just one little comment on this. It's the nature of our country to deal and have an open conversation. When you're thinking, start thinking about who would want that conversation to go a certain way And how tools that exist today allow them to do that. And question your own individual versus group think. And don't fear speaking up to contradict or challenge what's being stated. Because it's very important in the world of artificial intelligence to be able to understand how it can impact you. What do you believe in, in terms of truth or not truth? Mm -hmm. So as an individual, you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is enacted through your actions and what you spend the time to get yourself informed on and how you act on that.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the report, you and the commissioners argue that we are in the beginning of the beginning of a new era, Mm-hmm. And when I read that, to me, it's not just all doom and gloom because you know, I, I have a lot of friends. Oh, the world's not what it used to be. Things are changing. I'm actually juiced, excited when I read that language that there is so much opportunity, so much possibility. Yet, at the same time, in the report, you say most Americans are not really aware that right now we are behind
2: Absolutely.
0: in AI. Mm-hmm. But changing and shaping that focus to say, we could advance everything. How we learn, how we, you were talking about individual thinking, avoid group thing, tremendous possibilities for that.
1: So that's kind of the side
0: I like to think about as we've got a lot at stake here, but let's be excited about this.
1: Take ourselves to Mars. NASA just talked about going to Venus. Think of what that needs from artificial intelligence to create the automation. And what does it mean in terms of Uh, Steady stays in incubation for humans to do that long-term transport. What do you want that future to be when you want to have the platform that allows for freedom of speech? How do you want to take a look at medicine? How do you want to take a look at biology? How do you want to have nature look like in our future? Because we are now empowered at remarkable levels. And we can do it in the view of what we as a nation, as a principal body of people, want it to look like. And yes, there's going to be arguments. There are always going to be differences of opinion. And that's okay. That's what tolerance is about. That's how the foundation of the diversity thought is here in this nation. It strengthens us, gives us more ways of looking at things. That's artificial intelligence truly is extending and enabling or augmenting human intellect and
0: capacity.
1: And let's take advantage of it.
0: I think that's really insightful. If we lose this battle, this campaign, in your view, what are the, what are the consequences of that if we fall behind China on AI?
1: So it is essentially a very entwined uh, capability. Um, and so using electricity as analogy, in order for us to maintain an economic stronghold where we have an engine that produces and creates the value and wealth that we need to have to preserve our view of and, and our way of life, it isn't uh, something that you can ignore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To, to reach Mars, you need autonomy. To improve medical science, you need facial recognition technology. Right. In order to do all of those things, you have to have a common and important understanding of this technology to be able to utilize it and leverage it. Mm-hmm. And and so the first thing is get yourself educated. Don't listen to, and frankly, our, our freedoms in particular, that which is speech and our media has been right. um, utilized by offshore people to create fear and misinformation and a dialogue that creates unfactual information about artificial intelligence. We have to recognize the technology for what it is and our empowerment over it. We are the people that write code. We are the people who have the understanding of this technology. We need to grow it. We have a need to improve our access to it. We need to improve our confidence in it. We need to take and respect it, not fear it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the the growth of our young people growing up into technology fields, they're going to be reliant and dependent on it. Well, let's expand that into understanding so that where innovation happens, which is always driven by a vacuum, right, where we need something, Mm -hmm. somebody comes up with an idea on how to fill it. It should be born upon those principles and values that we care about, and that requires you to understand it.
0: Absolutely. And as I have read through the report and listened to you, it strikes me that there is no choice. We have to do this and we have to do it well. And to that point, Katerina, in the report, you and the other commissioners recommend a series of fundamental investments that the Secretary of Defense should make across DOD. Can you summarize those five areas for us? Because it strikes me that that gets at the heart of what we were just talking about before that we need to do this, but then you guys and gals really look at how specifically we should do it.
1: Well, I'll talk about fundamentals and then those funding pieces that come with it. Fundamentally, the first thing to do is become artificial intelligence ready, right? You need top down leadership, bottoms up education and ability to have a plan Ability to have tools in place to embrace and validate and verify and create justified confidence in. And so investments align with that, get money out for an education system that engages our military and civilian and and broader the workforce so that there is an understanding of this technology and an ability for contribution. And then there's the issue of not just the leadership and education, but hardware, things that we need to put money into to jump a couple generations to advance technology space, so that we are the in the driver's seat to be able to right. ensure that we protect it. And let me give you an anecdote. Everybody knows about this, but people don't perhaps take it as personally as they need to. Technology is in the image of the founder of it. It is a bias on how it's implemented. And if we take our government, we believe and want to preserve our freedoms. It's everywhere. It's every person's dialogue is about how we want to preserve our abilities uh, to hold dear to our freedoms. If I take the Chinese government and I take a look at a surveillance state, the natural tendency, an actual tendency, an actual action of the state is surveillance. It collects on every attribute of the human If I am having to buy that technology, that infrastructure for things like 5G, I have submitted myself to that value system, not my own. Mm -hmm. So take on the role of leading the technology to allow for freedoms, allows for our freedoms that we want to enjoy. And we have like-minded nations that align with us. Let's do it. Doesn't mean that countries who have a different value system can't impose that value system on ourselves, on themselves. But if you start with a system that preserves the integrity of choice, you can get to choose how you want it implemented.
0: I think that's an interesting way of phrasing it. And when you talk about living in a surveillance state, I think most of us Americans, we can't really relate to that. Yet that is in existence, of course, in China. Mm -hmm. And this notion of their values, and then if we couple that with what we were just talking about, of if we fall behind and they actually are the leading driving force in AI, those values, to your point, could really affect our freedoms.
1: Absolutely.
0: Now, if you and the commission had a magic wand, what's the number one priority on that strategy for reform so that we can make these changes by 2025?
1: There's not one, so I'll give you two. Sure. (laughs) The first one, to me personally, and I won't reflect the commissioners per se, but we all seem to align to this, is the Technology Competitiveness Council. The intentions were to have the vice president chair with all the cabinet members uh, a council that focuses on our future and and it's not just this technology that needs to have that type of leadership um material science biology we've just been a witness to a pandemic it's a different form of artificial intelligence it's engineered you know we need to have the ability to act upon things that are natural or not natural and we need to have a plan on how to do that in a structure then it's not just one element of the government it's a a large body of need strategically to posture itself. So to meet the Technology Competitiveness Council is, is of paramount interest and importance. And the second is frankly education. To be able to do this right, we need to have people understand it and translate fear into respect. And, and that means at every level, you know, we all understand the utility of electricity we understand positive-negative terminals on the battery on our car. We don't put those two together. It's not a good day. Why can we not understand how to do that in this particular domain? Because we haven't thought about it through that. It took a while, by the way, to introduce gas when electric into the nation. How many gas ovens exploded in homes of those people who could afford a gas stove, the new wave of technology in that period of time? How many people fried themselves with electric? We got it right ultimately. I'm not so sure we took a strategic posture to get there. Let's learn from those periods. Let's take a strategic look. Let's get ourselves knowledgeable and and have leadership plan and put a package together that's thoughtful, that can be executed loosely without too much bureaucracy for people to move forward.
0: The notion of whether it's the gas stove and the electricity and so forth, or whether it was the introduction of the automobile, there's a lot of different things that came about. When we talk with somebody like you that has such expertise in acquisitions, when we look at our acquisition system across national security, but even then across the rest of federal agencies, Katerina, are we really up to the task of purchasing that hardware that you talked about, those new hardware platform systems, of providing the training, of rapidly getting the software, sort of that need for speed. Are we up to the task of doing this in five years, as the commission recommends that we need to do these things in five years?
1: Right, by 2025, we have to have a strategic readiness. That is that we as a nation need to be able to understand, have a plan, know how to enact it, and have moved towards a platform that then jumps to the next, which is enabled. And are we ready? Is the system ready? We, In the our commission's report, we talk specifically to actions necessary to be taken. And they talk about changing the view of the system as it talks to requirements that generate why we buy something, funding, which aligns to how we resource to buy something. And then the actual process of buying, you know, going out and procuring something underneath regulations and policies. Yes. And inside of that is a risk profile. It's the profile of national security versus public good. And what we have to do is thinking through historical impacts of change. What do we need to change to accelerate in alignment with this technology space? and there has been steps forward but definitely more are needed and there are things that are being piloted in that fashion so the joint artificial intelligence council um that you probably are aware of uh, fondly called the jake that exists as Mm -hmm. an incubator inside of the department of defense is actually doing some pilots that are uh, aligned towards what i would call democratization of access to ai so if I want to have a builder, uh, the system is set forward where I first have to write what I think I need, then I have to argue to get it resourced against the uh, availability of funds, and then I have to go out in alignment with the federal acquisition regulations to procure. Right. Now, what's interesting is there's, there is means of doing exactly what you say within the system. But we have a very small workforce. It really is. People don't realize how small that workforce is that does this work. So you probably want to find tools that will allow for more throughput in terms of products and access, than the challenge path that we currently have, which was built towards a commodity type of acquisition process, build a ship, Mm -hmm. build an aircraft. Absolutely. So to your point, so to your point. We may have tools and the structure may allow for it, but to do it on mass to the speed that we need it, we need to adjust the requirements process. We need to adjust the programming, planning, and budgetary system, and we need to adjust further our acquisition system to be able to move with the accuracy and the speed of relevancy. It's not speed for itself, it's for relevancy.
0: Right. And as we talked about before, when I started out my career in CIA, I started off as a contract officer. And I totally get what you're talking about, that there were not as many of us as you might think. My first day on the job, I remember walking in it, there were like 56 or 57 contracts in various states on the desk. And I said, oh, this is going to be something. And it was a wild ride. Yet, as I listened to you, you mentioned the word requirements. And How would we change that? Because I've listened to folks like yourself and others talk about how we need to move more towards capability and need versus requirements and a disconnect with industry. From your perspective, how would we change that? Because as you know, so many folks, we look at JEDI, which is still in the courts right now, a lot of folks that want to drive change, yet we struggle. So your thoughts on how we might actually change the requirements process?
1: So, in terms of uh, opportunity space, um, it's hard to write a requirement if you don't know what you want to the specificity level of innovation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I wrote instead towards a defined outcome, you would find our requirements for warfighting, for example, are pretty straightforward. I want to have overmatch. I don't want to enter a fair fight. I want to be the person who has the strength and the capability to close with quickly and end a conflict. Our goal is not to have conflict. And so if we think about that, then what is it that allows us to go out and do things in this domain differently? Well, if we provide access to a, a cleared people, who don't necessarily have to have a billet that's cleared that they're already working on, which becomes a horrible catch-22. I can't work on something if I'm not cleared, but I can't um, get cleared unless I'm working on something. You need to change that paradigm to help people get into a place where they can explore opportunity to improve our systems and our performance inside of our ecosystem being artificial intelligence, software, our tools so to create the data pool and to create an environment that people can design and work in is a is a is actually something that I alluded to earlier which is what the Jake is doing is this uh, pilot okay. to bring people to the table that is a different form of developing a requirement right so if we change the way the system is designed from a requirements perspective to allow for and change how the budgeting system is driven towards constituency, but rather to outcomes where you report in on activities, you can uh, compress the timelines to achieve delivery of goods. Another aspect of that tying to requirements is the budgetary system. And Mm -hmm. the budgetary system right now is prioritized against expected costs for a requirement that doesn't exist. So think of who the system is when it comes to this type of work. So if I change the budgetary system to be available monies annually pro- programmed or cleanup funds that aren't being utilized because they couldn't be expended in the year of uh, appropriations, there is an opportunity to buy in time of need. And you can buy it based on delivery, not on development. Somebody comes in, does their own work, and offers up a solution that could save money or improve outcome or improve performance, they can buy it on the spot. A totally different paradigm.
0: Now, as you're talking, I think of Agile or DevOps. And instead of, well, wait a second, I'm going to look out and build this giant aircraft carrier three years from now. As you're well aware, those sort of software Process models and development models are much more minimal viable product. The operator, very close by, you're bringing them just a little bit. Does this meet your need or capability? And continuing to iterate in loops. Am I understanding that fairly? Is that how we want to move towards acquisition as well?
1: Truth is that these cases that you're articulating have value. Mm-hmm. The real process has to, however, consider the threat as the predominant driver or the white space where somebody is not occupying. In other words, if if everybody's focused on a missile and you find another way of achieving those results that's not a missile because nobody's spending time there, that's white space. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about how to be quote unquote agile, it shouldn't be, hey, I can introduce new capability. It should be, I need something that has an overmatch to that threat. Mm-hmm. And I need to prioritize it. And I have a forecast in my timeline of when I need to be there with this capability. That should mm-hmm. be your driver. There's nothing more emotional than the thought of being killed or having no government that's our government in the future. And there's active destabilizing. Non-kinetic effects are being used daily. Just think of what the colonial line is or the meat processor. Those are yes. attacks on our national security on our ability to have stability. And we need to have the ability to defend against that. And we need to be able to buy right away to do that. And so to your point, those tools that you mentioned are good tools, but it isn't just build for the purpose of building quicker or having another capability. It has to be driven by purpose. And so yeah. that tie to that requirement should be threat driven or white space driven. Hey, I just found out that, I can have anti-gravity paint, and the adversary doesn't. Look what it could do for me. That type of discussion is just as valuable.
0: Mm -hmm. Totally agree. And as I think about, you mentioned the Jake pilot, and I love to hear examples like that. How do we scale those, in your view? So that great work that's going on, that, of course, we get it out across the enterprise, the enterprises.
1: If you, if you rewind the clock a few years back, you probably heard of the DARPA competition, right? There was a DARPA software competition, innovation, mm-hmm. all sorts of different tools. You might have heard of the DIU, Defense mm-hmm. Innovation yes. Unit. And then you might have heard of SOFX and then AFX, and NAVX, and all these different. So what works catches on. So the purpose of these pilots is to demonstrate it can work, learn while you're working on this pilot, and rapidly mass produce for that purpose of confidence building and competency building.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the, the way you scale is through proof or evidence that this is working.
0: Mm-hmm. And certainly things like At The Jake and to your point of those other SoftWorks, and we've talked to a lot of those different folks, and it's pretty fascinating what they're doing. And we've been excited to help get that story out as well. So I get that, the notion of momentum and being able to build from there. Now, you talked about priorities before, and I listened to one of your talks or one of your interviews with Government Matters, and you'd said that there's a acquisition fatigue that can be out there sometimes because, of course, there's a lot of reports and so forth So I'm really enjoying this conversation. How do we convince folks that are fatigued to say, no, 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 no. Whether you're fatigued or not, get some rest, we gotta get back up and going. How do we convince them to get on board and support these things?
1: The analogy is the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Since 1950, more ornaments hung on it over time that you no longer see the tree. Mm -hmm. That is our acquisition system. With this 809 panel, they took a great deal of energy to try to deconflict and carefully extract elements of that ornamentation and take it away. The challenge that we have as a nation is that balance between public good and national security. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that somehow nature is going to protect us Uh, against bad behavior, let me call it fratricide for a moment, is ridiculous. You cannot protect against human nature. Um, You can punish, but there's somebody who's going to find a way. Mm -hmm. So what we really need to think of is how do you prioritize work and what tools can you put on our workforce to lift work off their back, automate it, you know, the e-procurement stuff, Um, Mm -hmm. And that includes not just the workforce and the government. I'm talking industry too because there's fatigue on both sides. And then simplify and give different tools out there for different risk profiles that everyone has agreed to. So let me sign up to what happened 20-plus years ago. At 9-11, we exercised a different set of muscles in terms of the system. Mm -hmm. The muscles we exercised were that the nature of life is more important than this process per se. And so we have this directed requirements, urgent needs, all these other tools were put in play. They existed way before, by the way, Mm 9-11, but they were exercised and people got familiar with it to the extent they started to abuse it, which is again, human nature. So the checks and balances of the system are based on having talented workforce and people who understand the need appropriately. So there is no great big magical wand that you you swing over the nation and everybody's gonna be perfect because you've built in a process or a procedure or something that's perfect. It Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. What you do is you take a look at your workforce through the lens of how much skills and experience do they have, and appropriately distribute the work accordingly to your priorities and importance and you introduce new tools using technology that can accelerate, that still consider the balance of national security and public good. So to the example I've mentioned, for this particular commodity area, it's not appropriate to try to refine and write a requirement. It's more appropriate to turn to industry, describe your problem, and have them offer you solution sets that you can demonstrate provide value, business case or operational
0: case. Absolutely. Now we talk about industry and another area that I find very interesting is Congress and their involvement as well. And I know that the national security commission AI report, uh, which was indeed sanctioned by Congress. What are some of the changes from a congressional side? because I really resonate with what you're saying. There are no silver bullets. It's been my experience in over 20 years in GovCon that application execution is key, great ideas, but making them happen. And that always comes back to the fundamentals. So what changes do we need on the congressional side? And I know you talk to a lot of those folks, but what are some of the changes we need as we start to scale up, do some of the things that you're talking about more like the Jake model?
1: So it's interesting because most of the recommendations that the commission put out have already been implemented through the Defense uh, Authorization Act language and the appropriators to put resources in play. Um, Much of the discussion on leadership has already been addressed. There's still more to do. One of the things that's so important in business, and we forget that business should extend to the government itself in a different form, yes, but still is important, is a strategic plan that's built on a very deliberate execution so in the military they call a five order paragraph right so you have you have your objective outcome and then there's five plan steps that you would take and then when you meet um your objective things change but you know what your objective for that outcome is
2: mm-hmm.
1: the same thing should be true and in fact the uh, department's taking action along these and has been it's a non-denominational, non-partisan. Um, for example, recently, uh, the DEFSEC DEF put out an executive order on responsible implementation of artificial intelligence. Very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. So you need to have top-down leadership with a plan that talks strategically about how to do these things, these changes, this language of uh, um, how does Congress need to work with us differently, They should have a literally a strategic plan to do it. And they've done certain things, certain components. Uh, Certainly more work needs to be done. For example, they have a data strategy in the department. How many people really know about it? How are they taking what is in paper and having it implemented? There should be ties between a discussion and an implementation. And in normal cases, we do that fairly well. If we introduce a new weapon system, we have training associated with it, we have testing associated with it, and we have a value system about how do we measure success. All of those things should fall into a strategy for artificial intelligence, for the nation, not just the Department of Defense, but for the nation. And it should be a strategic posture Because national security in this domain is not always kinetic, like we talked about with the meatpacking and the uh, colonial oil. Um, We need a strategy that says, here's how we as a nation are going to take this on.
0: Absolutely. And I'm familiar with some of the data-centric strategies and so forth out of the Pentagon, and I've been reading them over the past year. And I'm glad to see them. But to your point, a lot of folks do not know about them. And actually, a lot of folks in industry in this space, one of the reasons that I'm enjoying talking with you today, the more we can do to get out there and say, hey, some of these things are in existence, absolutely. More people need to understand, et cetera, if we're going to drive some of this change. You know, though, as you talk, the one thing that strikes me, the pace of things right now, 50, 100 years ago, although it seemed like things were moving, the pace now is incredible. So when you mentioned the the Tech Competitiveness Council, and I really like that idea, from a pacing point of view, are there some things that we do on this council that are new or different just because the time windows in the report? Katarina, blow me away. Thinking of doing all of this in some ways, you could argue that this is as sweeping as some of the changes that we had to do for World War II. I mean, really within the report, we're talking about technology, education, software, leadership, major changes of what we've got to do. How do we do the pacing piece specifically within that council?
1: So if you think about going backwards in time to the 1960s, remember our moonshot, Mm -hmm. we did that in five years. There was a lot of technologies that were birthed earlier than that particular moment. But that's true right today. To organize and and structure our future is something that is, is, is already available to us in terms of the technology space. So really, although we can get ourselves wrapped up in the, uh, in the in the very small elements of implementation, what we need is what I would call the same thing as a moonshot—that which can, takes and and brings to bear technology to start developing that readiness that I talked to. Have a plan. Begin the education. You're going to start um, producing more by virtue of having these very deliberate pillars of change in place that is a, a again a, a whole of government is not just the government right it's the people because we are a federated country we believe in the diversity we believe in tolerance and so if we think of all of those things as a nation we want to adapt and adopt and accelerate through that type of process. And can we do it? Absolutely. The issue is at the individual level. There's two things that happen in nature. One is an individual's thought and then the other is a group thought when it comes to decisions. Mm -hmm. Group dynamics are exquisitely interesting. They can be very bad. Think of what happened in Germany Or they can be very good. Think of what happened in this nation with the revolution. Mm -hmm. What is interesting is it's through the eye of the beholder. General Cornwall, sitting off of Baltimore, did not like the fact these rebels put all these ships in the harbor. For all of those that wanted the freedoms that we enjoy, for them that was miraculous and it was an activity that overthrew what was then the Imperial British Navy. Mm So it's not that we can't do it, it's whether we will do it. Are we motivated? Are we informed? Do we understand what's going on with us with these attacks at all different levels, like solar winds, uh, beef, you know, whatever the signaling that's going on, we're a freaking test tube right now, and people are stirring stuff in us to see what happens. Ooh, isn't this interesting? Let's Mm -hmm. put ourselves into the driver's seat and take control of it.
0: And the attacks are really concerning right? Because we've been watching and following them as well. Yet, the things you are saying align exactly with what this show is about. This is doable. We can do it. It may take new thinking, new ideas, new will, maybe even adjustments in our cultural perspective, but we can do this. Katarina, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your views and your work with the report, the AI National Security Commission report, and the critical recommendations that you have all developed. And I hope we'll get an opportunity to talk again. This was very enjoyable. A couple key things that really hit me in listening to Commissioner McFarlane. First off, her mom and that story of how she survived Dresden. It makes these things when we talk about freedom and our values, it makes it real. Sometimes, especially for younger folks, oh, that seems so long ago, World War II wasn't that long ago. Katerina talked about values, and whoever wins this, the technology will be shaped by their values. So a lot of great stuff in there on acquisition reform, great perspectives on white space, on really focusing in on the threat and using that to drive what you actually acquire, what you build, instead of requirements of bureaucracy. As always, hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think this series of episodes we just want folks to be engaging understanding and acting so indeed let us know what you think and as always keep being different out there
1: GovCon different Ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change.
0: It's like TED Talks meets the federal space.
1: Different ideas from different industries uncovered, unvarnished, and smashed together to produce change in the government space. Join us as we explore a world of GovCon possibilities.
0: GovCon Different is produced by Market Advocates, LLC, and Nexus ATX, LLC. On behalf of Cliff Sundstrom, our executive producer, and myself, Eric Prostyofsky, your host and executive producer, thank you for listening.